0: the powers that be daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of wall street washington silicon valley and hollywood and the players who run it all i'm peter hamby it's wednesday august 10th and today matt bellany is here to talk about two big fantasy shows dropping soon from the big streamers the game of thrones spinoff on hbo max and amazon's much hyped lord of the rings series what do these shows say about the future of each platform and their bosses And later on, Ben Landy's here with Dylan Byers to share what he's looking at this week in the world of media. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. dot M E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep. You're creating a better life. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I am joined today by Matt Bellany, my fellow founding partner at Puck, also the host of another podcast called the town. You should listen to it. How is the podcast going, Matt?
1: It's going great. Uh, I just got the very limited consumption data that Spotify provides for us. Well, I'm going to try to
0: gin up some ratings Please. for the Powers That Be by talking to you about two potential big hits, upcoming shows at two big streamers. One is The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, a new show coming to Amazon. Jeff Bezos is very hot on this. And the other is the new Game of Thrones series. What is that one called? House of the Dragons. House of the Dragon yes. on uh, Warner Brothers Discovery? No, HBO, HBO Max? Max, yes. HBO Whatever. Max,
1: it is coming August <laughs> <still> 21st. <laughs> it is, it's still called HBO Max. They are going to change the name probably of the service at some point. But for now, it is still called HBO Max. And this is the probably the most anticipated show that HBO has launched, maybe since Watchmen. This is, this is bigger than Watchmen. I mean, this is a spinoff, a prequel of the most popular show in the history of HBO. Yes. That's that's what we're talking about here. Sopranos was big. Sex and the City was big. But Game of Thrones, especially coming when it did, when the entire linear TV ecosystem was breaking down, at the end, HBO was basically Game of Thrones and everything else. So exactly. now they have finally got around to doing a prequel. They already did one, and then they completely trashed it. There was a There was another spinoff with Naomi Watts that they just went, eh, not good enough. And they didn't air it. Then they redeveloped the property. They now have this show. Matt Smith is a star. There's a bunch of others in it. And from everybody I've talked to who has seen it, they say it's good and we'll see. First of all, I didn't know that they scrapped
0: another one. I totally missed that. That sucks for everyone involved because these are huge productions. (laughs) Um, You know, you wrote earlier this week that David Zaslav, the head of Warner Bros. Discovery, He's come in with a weed whacker. He's trying to cut costs. Layoffs could be coming soon, according to your reporting. Would a huge smash hit on HBO Max do anything to alleviate some of the anxiety surrounding this big company and and the merger that just happened?
1: I think the short answer is yes. I mean, HBO certainly could use a big hit here. They are putting an unprecedented marketing campaign behind this show. And if you talk about all the cuts that are going on at Warner Brothers Discovery, one place they are not really cutting is scripted shows at HBO. That is the bread and butter of this service. That is what they know they are great at. The team at HBO delivers time and time again. So this is the bell of the ball. Use whatever metaphor you want. The highest priority show for HBO. So if it comes out of the box and delivers huge audience That is absolutely a narrative changer. Now, is it going to fix all the bigger problems with HBO Max and with the parent company? No, I mean, the biggest problem is that because of their prior owner, AT&T, and because of the financial situation the company's in, they have a huge amount of debt. They have 50 something million dollars of debt. In a best case scenario, they're gonna make about $9 billion in profit this year. They are projecting about 12 billion in profits for next year those numbers don't quite match. So they need to start paying off that debt. And does the hit show change that calculus? No. But where it also could impact things is on subscriber numbers. The yeah. HBO Max service is probably, in my prediction, is going to benefit significantly from having a Game of Thrones show on HBO Max. I mean, even before the streaming wars and where everyone was paying attention to the sub numbers every month, we saw that people would subscribe and unsubscribe to HBO based on whether Game of Thrones was on. Huh. And I'm sure you know people who did that. I certainly know people who did that. And in this environment where people turn on and turn off streaming services based on what shows are on that particular month or quarter, this, in my opinion, is going to absolutely juice their subscriber number. But is that not related to...
0: Revenue in any way for the larger Oh, it goal? is. Okay.
1: Yeah, and and the stock market will certainly pay attention to that. I mean, the whole problem with Warner Brothers' discovery is that the stock is in the toilet. You know, this is a stock that has lost 30 40% in a year. And the entire job of the CEO, David Zasloff, is to turn around that stock price. So if they come back next quarter and they have a spike in subscribers, hopefully that will increase their stock price. We don't know because the market isn't just valuing sub numbers anymore. They're valuing profitability. They're valuing a diversified revenue stream and all these things that they say they're doing. And the market is really not liking the direction right now because of this debt issue and some of the decreased forecasts that they've had. So let's talk about another streamer, which is more of a just mega company,
0: which is Amazon, they also have their Lord of the Rings spinoff coming. Why is Bezos so hot on this? I mean, we are talking before that he's been posting about it and hyping it up. I
1: think Bezos is just a Lord of the Rings fan, first and okay. foremost. He likes the property. And business-wise at the company, there was a sense that Amazon Studios was playing small ball on mm-hmm. their video aspirations. They had had some hits, won some Emmys. They had shows like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. They had Fleabag, these kind of critical darlings that would get Emmys, but they wouldn't have a massive audience. And a few years ago, they really shifted that. They said, you know what? We are Amazon.com. We are the mega brand for everybody. Why is our video offering not appealing to everyone? And they started doing things like buying the Borat movie and blockbusters like the Tomorrow War during COVID. And they did shows like Jack Ryan and the Terminal List that just came out, which are not critical shows, but are big all audience action thriller shows. And what's a bigger franchise than Lord of the Rings? It's a gigantic worldwide known property. And they're spending like it is a Amazon show. I mean, by some estimates, all in on the rights and the seasons, they're going to spend a billion dollars on this. So the pressure is on. I have a weird
0: observation that you might contradict me here, but like sometimes I watch Amazon series like Jack Ryan is a good example. Like it felt big. But like the details that you see in like a scripted HBO series, like it just feels extremely premium, extremely well done. And sometimes I watch shows on Amazon, which again, win awards or have like big audiences. They just don't feel as like glossy to me. Am I making that up? Is that a silly thing to say?
1: Well, so I think part of that is personal taste, but it also has to okay. do with <laughs> the tension to detail, I think, that, yeah. that a place like HBO applies to their shows. I don't think these other services would have scrapped a Game of Thrones pilot just because it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And there yeah. are example after example of HBO pausing shows. Westworld is a good example. That was developed to death before it was ready to be on the air. They have this new show with The Weeknd that's coming out called The Idol. That, I know, was, you know, they had cuts of a bunch of episodes and they basically scrapped them. The HBO brand is so bespoke that they are able to do that. In recent years, they've tried to broaden that brand out with HBO Max, and they have shows like the Gossip Girl reboot or the Peacemaker or things that are not so HBO brand focused, and that's by design. HBO had been overly male. They wanted more women. HBO had been older. They wanted younger people, hence Euphoria. So they're doing things to broaden out that HBO brand. And Amazon, I think, is really in the audience aggregation business. You know, Ultimately, video is not the business of Amazon. Selling you socks and toilet paper is the business of Amazon. So they're trying to bring people into their ecosystem so that they can ultimately sell them another product. Uh, what brand of socks do you purchase on Amazon? I don't purchase any socks on Amazon. I think a couple times a year, my wife will just grab some at Banana Republic or Gap. <laughs>
0: socks are oh man, we we're talking about socks now. Socks are one of those things where you're like, forget about them, and every time you get a new pair, you're like, why don't I buy socks more often?
1: Yeah, I, I really, I really rely on the holidays for my sock acquisitions. <laughs> some Argyle socks. Yeah, I get a lot around then. Well, Matt, thank you so much, man. It's good to be back
0: from vacation and talk to you again. I hope you will come back in a few days and talk more with me. Thank you so much. Sure. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com powers that be. netsuite.com powers that be. That's netsuite.com powers that be. Hey, welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here
2: with Dylan Byers for a quick update on what's going on in media. It's been a quiet month, right, Dylan?
3: <laughs> yeah, nothing's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wrote a piece, uh, I wrote a piece, I wrote a piece a few weeks back saying that like uh, there was nothing happening on the media beat and then all of a sudden it's like I tempted the gods and now everything's you did, happening. You did you
2: willed it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this on Tuesday and we haven't talked yet on the podcast I think about our friends at Axios Co-founders, uh, Jim VandeHei, Mike Allen, Roy Schwartz. Yes. They've agreed to sell the company, most of the company, to their lead investor, Cox Enterprises, for $525 million.
3: So what is your smart brevity take on all this? <laughs> I'll do this in bullet points. Big picture for me is that this is a lot more money than I think even they were expecting as recently as a year ago, when, by the way, the economy was in much better shape, there was a plan that was at least floated Jim Vande way from Axel Springer, where they were going to buy Axios for around four hundred million, tie it up with Politico, which the Axel ended up buying for one billion, and have Jim run the company as a sort of joint thing. Axel Springer might deny that, but um, let's just say that that there were serious conversations about that. So the fact that they're selling it for 30 percent more, it's valued 30 percent higher in this economy a year later, I think is notable. I think number two, full disclosure, I worked at Politico for four years. I worked under Jim, in the shadow of Mike. You have to give Jim VandeHei and Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz some credit here because in the last year, Politico has sold for 1 billion. They co founded that. Axios has now sold for over 500 million in the span of five or six years. They co founded that. When the history books of, of digital media are written, like Jim Vande Heide deserves a starring role there because the fact that he has created two businesses now that have sold very well and just beyond the business side of it are just sort of staples in the culture. I mean, like Politico totally changed the way that people thought about political reporting in the aughts. And then Axios comes along and introduces, well, I don't know if introduces, but at least sort of brings back this old smart brevity model in a way that clearly was deemed valuable to Cox. And I think those guys deserve a lot of credit. But what do you make of this sale price,
2: $525 million? Because that's like 5x revenue, despite the fact that Axios, for, for all their incredible successes, did not post a profit this past year.
3: I think it's clear that Axios has sort of captured the zeitgeist. And I think if you're Cox and you're looking to diversify into digital media and away from what their core business has historically been, which is television, broadcast cable, that this was sort of an obvious choice. I mean, especially after Politico sold this sort of the hottest digital media, pure news play on the market, there aren't that many other digital news medias of that size and scale that I think would be comparable in the eyes of Cox. So I was surprised I expected Axios to exit for something like 400, which was the number that was floating around a year ago. And I certainly didn't see it coming. I thought that given the way that the market had gone and everything, that maybe they were going to have to wait a little longer. And I know Van de High and, and crew have been fighting for an exit for years now.
2: Yeah, look, they proved a lot of people wrong with the format innovation of these you know, bullet point but sophisticated News and analysis. It's also a testament to how much money is flowing through the CSR corporate social responsibility ad market.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the, the one piece of that for them is the SaaS play, which is their software for enabling other businesses and organizations to do this smart brevity thing in their internal communication, which Cox is not buying. Cox is not buying that business. That business is being spun off. Roy and Jim will continue to run that. And, is this a bit hyperbolic? Maybe. But the view from inside Axios is that that business itself could one day be bigger than Axios. That that SaaS play is something that they intend to grow aggressively and that they see a very bright future for. Speaking of our friends in the
2: startup, DC Media, CSR game, I'm just curious what you've been hearing lately about our other friends at Semaphore.
3: Every time you talk about Semaphore, you have to do this throat clearing thing, which is like, don't bet against Ben Smith. Don't bet against Justin Smith. And everyone does that and they do that with good reason because both of those guys are extremely accomplished and talented and, and their reputations precede them. All of that said, we're getting towards the end of summer. They're about two months out from launch. And this big global media company that was going to serve 200, in the words of Ben Smith, the 200 million English-speaking readers who are underserved by the current offerings already in existence, is getting ready to launch in Washington, D.C. and Africa with almost no notable hires on the editorial front. They have a few folks. They got a business reporter from The Wall Street Journal. They got a great video guy from Vox. But, like, you know, they went after the Maggie Habermans and the Andrew Ross Sorkins and the Jonathan Swans. And they didn't get those guys. Fine. You don't need to get the Yankees to start a great baseball team. But then they went after sort of the next tier and they didn't get those guys. Why is it so hard for Ben and Justin to recruit great editorial talent? And what does it mean if they go to launch and they don't have those people in place? Now, maybe... I'm totally wrong about this. And Ben is keeping his cards extremely close to the chest and he has all these people whose lips are sealed. But the talk around D.C. and New York, too, is that there's a real recruitment problem for Semaphore. And that's something that I think is probably starting to spook investors as well. I think also we didn't talk about the fact that Semaphore
2: has a 10-year vesting period for people who are coming <laughs> on board and getting equity in the company
3: which might be part of the recruitment problem
2: well we are rooting for them we're, we're strong believers here and yeah, we're rooting for everybody that's right a rising tide lifts all boats <laughs> in this industry and and you know they have um big impressive goals here and a vision for this company that i think we'd all like to see succeed
3: yes constructive criticism constructive criticism
2: thanks dylan appreciate you being on here and
0: we'll see you next time thanks ben